welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome back to the Oxygen Starved Podcast, listeners. It's your podcast where we give you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversation from 11,000 feet, which is, um, you know, right here in Mono County. We're surrounded by mountains, right, Stace? Yep, that's right. I'm Stacy, And we're also surrounded by producer Doug. Hey, Doug. Hey, how's it going? Going well. So, say, Stace, why don't you start off the adventure this time? Okay. Well... It's a good time to have an adventure like this because Mm -hmm. we're going to be broadcasting this episode right before Halloween. And the adventure that I had most recently was a visit to Convict Lake. Convict Lake. The name itself evokes some kind of like haunting. Eerie, yes. So my husband and I decided to head out there one afternoon. It was kind of late in the day. The Mm -hmm. sun was setting. I'll post some pictures And Convict Lake is actually a naturally made lake. Some of the lakes that we have here in our area are actually man-made, which people might not realize, but they are. And Convict Lake, however, is was originally carved out by the glaciers. So, where is Convict Lake? Convict Lake is between Mammoth Lakes and the town of Mammoth Lakes Mm -hmm. and Crowley Lake. Along 395. So you turn off of 395, kind of by the airport, the Mammoth Lakes Airport, Mm -hmm. and it's about a three-mile jaunt up the road, a windy road, lots of deer around, and (laughs) you have to be careful, um, to get to the lake itself. And there's a marina there. They rent all kinds of different types of boats and Mm -hmm. paddle boards and all that fun stuff. But on this day, we just were going to hike around. Yeah. And there, it's also a jumping off point. So from the Convict Lake Trail, you can get to a lot of higher elevation lakes, Mm -hmm. Dorothy and Mildred and a whole bunch of others. (laughs) The whole family. Right dot. All of them. Yes. (laughs) So, but on this day we were just going, going to just walk around the lake and it was, it was just beautiful. But, Mm -hmm. um, in, Prepping, doing a little bit of research for this, um, I found out that Convict Lake is one of the deepest lakes really? in the area. Yep. Approximately 140 feet wow. deep at its deepest depth. Um, and that's one of the deepest lakes in the Sierras. That's so, pretty amazing. Yeah, I didn't, I had not realized that. And then, of course, it's bordered by Mount Morrison, mm-hmm. which is about a 12,000 foot peak, right. just over 12,000 um, feet. And so the history of Convict Lake and why, how it got its name. Yeah, we're curious the, ones to know. the spooky story. <laughs> so in 1871, uh, 29 prisoners escaped from the Nevada prison in Carson City. North of us. North of us, mm-hmm. yeah. So today it takes us about, from from the town of Mammoth, it takes about two and a half hours to drive to the town of Carson City, mm-hmm. which is the capital of Nevada. Right. So Convict Lake used to be called Monte Diablo. Really? That's what its name was prior to what it's called now. And it doesn't... People didn't don't really know their origin of why it's called 
the mm-hmm. mountain of the devil. <laughs> um, but however, this story that happened may be right. have forecasted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, it was foreshadowing. Yes. So these 29 prisoners escaped from the Nevada State Prison, and they made their way down to, um, to Convict Lake. And there they were met by a, about in September, they were met by a posse mm-hmm. of law people in Mono County. And a posse. A posse. Yeah. You don't hear words like that very much anymore, do you? No. I mean, there's a certain <laughs> generation of us that grew up on old time Western yes. movies that probably remember what a posse means. Exactly. But... So a group of lawmakers mm-hmm. and there was a shootout. Oh, wow. And... Um, John Morris, I'm sorry, Robert Morrison was shot. He was the one of the lawmakers. Okay. And he was shot and killed, hence Mount Morrison is named for him. Oh, wow. And then another um, lawman named Jim was also um, gunned down. And there's Mono Jim. There's It's another, a smaller peak. Now, was Mono Jim Paiute or uh, of native extraction? I believe I so. so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he was. So, so not to confuse the two mountains, it's not Jim Morrison. That's a completely Correct. different that's person. That's a different person. That's another show. That's another show. Yes, another adventure. <laughs> <laughs> two different mountains, yeah, yeah, two different law guys. Exactly. Got so, pegged by the... By the right. The escaped the convicts. The escaped convicts. So hence, now we are familiar with Convict Lake because of that That's story. And lots of movies have been made about this escape mm-hmm. and the capture and all of that. And it's it's a pretty famous place. It's a really uh, quintessential Western story, right? I mean, it's like a Zane Grey novel. It really is come to life. <laughs> exactly. For sure. You can just kind of see, you know, Kirk Douglas or, you know, what? Jimmy Stewart or somebody else out there John leading Wayne, John right? Wayne, leading a posse, <laughs> yes. you know, of horses in the across the high country yep. coming down to, to get these guys. And then there's a, a real honest to goodness shootout. Absolutely. And, you know, this was part of the, the lifestyle. You know, if we think back to when we had Tim mm-hmm. Alpers on as our, right. our guest and he talked about the being that this was off the grid and it was a kind of a lawless kind of place. So it really was, um, you know, it makes sense that something like this would happen here. I think what's also interesting about the story of Convict Lake is that it really, um, it kind of is one of the things that defines the area. So mm-hmm. there's a whole lake named after it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and then I know that there, I, I can't remember where Morrison is buried, but you know, there are markers in different mm-hmm. parts of the area yep. uh, to about him this incident. Things yeah. that he, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's also interesting that, um, Convict Lake's famous for fish, the trout that mm-hmm. it has. So right. it's, it's teeming with, with trout and, and pretty good size trout yeah. also. But I didn't know until researching this, that there is a legend that there is a huge, Trout that they call Horgon. Horgon. I don't know what that means or where that came from. That lives in Convict Lake. Oh wow! Nobody has ever caught this huge fish, and I don't know what huge really means. Is it like our own, you know, Nessie from Scotland? I think it is. I think that's the idea that there is this legend of this fish now for. 
for those of you listening that don't fish, so a, a big trout is, con- mm-hmm. you know, if you catch like a four or five pound trout, that's a big trout. Yeah, that's to a lot catch. of fish. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I can only imagine what, <laughs> how big Horgon might be. But we had a lovely time. It was a great adventure, great afternoon out there. It was so beautiful. Were the leaves beginning to turn? Just very barely. One mm-hmm. of the pictures I took had a little aspen tree that was just starting to turn yellow. And of course, now the colors, you know, that this right. adventure was a, a couple weeks ago. So now the colors have really exploded and and but the waterfall was still coming down and oh, I love that. We had to climb over the creek At on the some branches. Yeah, that because the creek was running mm-hmm. a lot. Just a reminder of how much snow we got last year. So for so, our listeners, um, the trail goes around, around circum- the lake. It circumvents the lake, And yes. at the back end of the trail, there's a creek that comes right. in and feeds the, feeds the lake. So you right. do kind of have to scramble over it when it's high. Yeah, exactly. And the bridge, the bridge was all exposed, so mm-hmm. we could walk a- along the bridge and... You know, just looking up at some of the trees, how big, you know, big they are and the history that they hold within them. Um, It's one of my favorite places to go in in Mono County, for sure. It's one of my favorites, too. And and beyond just the dramatic story, the scenery, as you described, is really dramatic. The the mountains are really at a sharp angle coming directly into that water. You can tell that it would be a deep lake. Yeah, and you can also, um, if you're in the right place at the right time, we've seen mm-hmm. bald eagles there. So oh, really? So there is an eagle's, a bald eagle's nest. And, you know, if you catch them at the right time, you can see them. They'll come down and they'll swoop down and catch a fish and pluck, oh my gosh. pluck it out of the water and That's fly amazing. back up to their nest. And You're it's in God's really country cool. there. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. amazing. It's, when that happens, it's magical. So, so again, it's it's pretty accessible off the highway, right? A lot of people go to Coffee Yes, Lake. and there's there's good parking. It's it's easy to navigate. The to go around the lake is probably about three ish miles. Mm-hmm. It's pretty flat. Mm-hmm. You you know, so anybody, pretty much anybody can walk around this lake. And my husband and I actually had a debate. Do we call this a hike or is this a walk? We're, <laughs> We didn't come to any conclusion um, necessarily, we, but... You, you know, we have the same conversation from time to time. You know, th- what constitutes a hike? How much elevation gain do you need and how long do you need to be out? Exactly. <laughs> yes, that, that, was, that was the criteria we were talking about, you know, was, well, is it because it's not paved? The right. trail is not paved. Right. It's a dirt trail. So does there in... Does that constitute it as a hike mm. because you're on dirt? <laughs> oh, okay. So I think we just come up with a topic for another podcast I think, episode. I think we have. <laughs> but in the meantime, keep breathing and we'll be right back. You're dialed in to Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet, originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California. You can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. Welcome back, listeners. We are have arrived at the B section of our discussion today, of Yay. our show, the book 
portion. And today we are going to talk a little bit about Halloween reads. Halloween. Yes, that infamous time of the year that now starts in In, August. (laughs) In in July in some stores. Yeah, yeah, totally. Isn't it crazy? Yeah, as soon as the 4th of July is over, the candy comes out. (laughs) So books, ghost stories, spine tinglers, horror. Yes. I I am appreciating your telling me and informing me about all of these books because I'm not much of a horror reader. You know, I'm not really either. I mean, there's definitely when one comes my way, there's a kind of style of book that I like. Mm -hmm. But I'm not necessarily a blood and guts, you know, axe wielder coming out of the woods kind of thing. And I never was. Right. You know, it's not that it freaks me out or scares me or anything. It's just that I can't take it very seriously. It's just me. It's just not in, to me, it's not fun. Right. To read about somebody being eviscerated. (laughs) But many people like that That and that's fine. That is. Thank you, Dexter. That's your thing. Go for it. Yeah. But, you know, there are um, so many kind of, just to put all this in context for Halloween, Mm -hmm. there are a variety of different kinds of of genres out there for this time of year that people like to pick up. And so there's the traditional ones that we were discussing before the podcast. You know, there's Shirley Jackson, Haunting of Hill House, um, The Lottery, all those things that she wrote. We read in school. Edgar Allan Poe. Who we all read in school, too. Who we all read in school. He's the master. Nevermore, The Raven. Yep. Which is a great setup for the next conversation segment, but we won't go there yet. <laughs> there's, um, you know, there's the popular horror stuff. The mm-hmm. Stephen King's yep. of the world, Josh Mallerman, who wrote Bird Box, and you know, Clive Barker. Those kinds yep. of horror books that, again, I don't really kind of read. I appreciate them, but but not they're my always style. bestsellers. You always totally. see those guys on number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah, so they're they're good writers, an and there's an audience for that. Yeah. Um, there are uh, things that are not so explicitly horror or scary. They're just kind of gothic. So mm-hmm. Jane Eyre, uh, Daphne du Maurier's Rebecca is one that I like to go back to from time to time. I actually find that a better book than um, I remember. And <laughs> Henry James' Turn of the Screw. Another book we all read in high school. Mm-hmm. And then more recently, there are the send-up books. I like some funny, you know, humorous, yep. lighthearted stuff. And so mm-hmm. about a maybe a little over a decade ago, there was a book that came out called Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Um, it was really popular. I think it was actually made into a movie. I think I was going to say, didn't they make that into a movie? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just a complete, like, ridiculous but kind of fun read. Sure. For those of us who didn't really like Pride and Prejudice to begin with. <laughs> this is a way to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Halloween for me is, um, I always think about it, you know, I think we were talking as well, like the history of it. So there's a, there's a religious aspect of it. Yep. So it's the, for those Christianity followers, Catholicism followers. So all Hallows Eve is the Mm -hmm. night before All Saints Day. When I taught in the Catholic schools, we got All Saints Day was a holiday. We just had to go to mass and then we were we were done. We were so Halloween served another purpose. Those, it's so, like a convention of saints or something. Like yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that's, and then in the Hispanic culture, of course we have Dia de los Muertes, which right. is the day of the dead celebration, which is also on November 1st. Yeah. Which is an amazing cultural celebration. Yes. Yeah. And then as well, like in Western tradition, at least Halloween itself is also kind of derived from some Celtic 
traditions yeah. and Western European traditions. And in those traditions, uh, Halloween, that time of year, as well as spring, so May Day, were okay. the two times of year where it was believed that the fabric between reality and the supernatural was at its thinnest. Interesting. Yeah. So that was, that was the time of year when like the goblins and the ghosts and the demons could cross over into real life hmm. and, you know, get up to hooliganism, you know, <laughs> twice a year. Um, and you know, when I was thinking about prepping for this, cause again, I don't really read horror books. Right. I was thinking, well, those are the, that's what I want out of a book is that kind of thinness. Mm-hmm. Um, I like a good ghost or a golem or a character that is going to bring more psychological mystery or suspense um, than physical damage. And right. I like how you describe that. That Describing it that way makes me more inclined to seek out a book like you're going to describe. Right. <laughs> Thanks for the lead in, Stace. Of course. <laughs> so I'll give two uh, recent literary examples of this kind of fiction, which I, I think is pretty much gothic mm-hmm. fiction. Uh, one is Diane Setterfield's Once Upon a River came out last year. Yeah. Some of our listeners will know her from The 13th Tale, which was her breakout bestseller from a few years ago. Uh, Once Upon a River is a, a gothic tale um, about a young girl's body basically is found in the River Thames and brought by a boatman to a small town, a river town. And, um, you know, is she drowned? Is she not drowned? What's really going on Mm. kind of thing. So she's kind of the crux of the story, but then like a good Gothic tale does it, the story itself is about the townspeople themselves trying to understand and suss through all this and their weaknesses and their foibles and their relationships with each other are really what drive the book. It's really well done. Um, got great reviews. So Mm. you can find it at the library. We'll list it on our show page. And then another book that, um, I've recommended numerous times in this last year is Sarah Perry's latest book called Melmoth. And again, we'll list that on the show page. And I'm really intrigued by this book from what you've described. So yeah, this- so I'll give my description of it and then other people who have read it as well. I think we would be curious about your reaction. So you can email us I'll through the chime website. In. Yeah. So Melmoth is, Sarah's book Melmoth is based on a 200-year-old novel called Melmoth the Wanderer. And it's a story about a guy who sold his soul to the devil so he could have an extra 150 years worth of life and what all that meant, right? Again, kind of one of the original gothic novels. Sure. Sarah Perry reimagines the character as a woman who was one of the women who went to Jesus's tomb and found that it was empty and that Jesus had risen and was resurrected. But she denied this. And um, because of she denied it, she was cursed to wander the earth without home or respite until Christ comes again. So she is always watching, always seeking out everything that's most distressing and most wicked in a world where there is a lot of wickedness and a lot of distress. And in doing so, she bears witness where there is no other witness. So she's witnessing things that other people aren't seeing. And um, through that, she hopes to achieve her salvation. That's the premise that Sarah Perry created. So what I think is instead of kind of being meaning to be a horror book, it's not. It's It's more metaphysical. It's more metaphysical, psychological. And for me, it was very thought provoking. So 
Uh, Perry's Melmoth is not the central character of the book. It's not the protagonist. There's a separate protagonist, and she weaves a number of really well-written, well-crafted human stories. And Melmoth kind of lurks around the story and pops in at key moments where you're kind of wondering what kind of decision did this person make? You know, what, what needs to be witnessed here? So it really is kind of, it's, again, it's a, it's a novel. And does it take place during Christ times or does it take place in the modern, I mean, or does it weave all over? It kind of weaves all over. The main protagonist is a, is in current, times, okay. contemporary times. She's a writer living in Prague, okay. um, hmm. <laughs> right? Which is a trope in and of itself. <laughs> um, but she does weave in other stories um, from around the world and from different times to show that Melmoth is kind of like has been around a while, okay. right? Um, and again, you know, Melmoth is a real character. It's acknowledged in the book. Um, but again, she's, she's not the main character. She's mm-hmm. kind of a signal for something darker. Mm-hmm. And when I finished this book, I really enjoyed it, I first should say. But when I finished it, it really made me look at decisions I've made in my life and whether I made the right decisions or did I sell someone out for my own comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like who, wh- what did I do in life? You that would is, never do any of those things. I, you know, you, <laughs> thank you for saying that. See, <laughs> I've got you fooled. Um <laughs> But, you know, it really was kind of one of those books that makes you ruminate when you stop. And I think it's, for that reason, probably going to be a really great book discussion book. Oh, I'll bet. It sounds like it. Yeah. It's pretty deep. So that's Sarah Perry's Melmoth. It got really good reviews um, from all over the place last year. You can find it in the library and at your local bookstore. So those are two examples of gothic fiction. But, you know, me being me, which listeners should understand by now. Yes. I still have books to recommend. (laughs) Of course you do. So it's your job it as a librarian. Job. Thank you. So um, for Halloween, because we're at Halloween, I'm going to recommend three Halloween books. Awesome. Very different ones. The first one is an honest-to-goodness ghost story. So this one's called The Heart-Shaped Box by Joe Hill. Who is Stephen King's son. Exactly. And he carries on the family tradition Does he? really adroitly with this book. It was his debut novel. He's written a lot since both novels and short stories. Um, This one's about an aging rock star with all the stereotypical rock star Mm -hmm. things. You know, he's got a great following. He has had a string of casual girlfriends and he has more money than he knows what to do with. And so he likes to collect oddities, kind of morbid curiosity kind of things. And so um, he decides to collect a ghost. There's an ad for a ghost. Yeah. So, um, and this ghost supposedly is haunts a suit of clothes, inhabits a suit of clothes that is mailed to the protagonist in a box shaped like a heart. I'll stop there because okay. to do anything further would start giving things away. All right. No spoilers no here. No spoilers. But I will say, you know, again, I'm not a huge fan of horror fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was really, really well written and it spooked me way out and I can't recommend it enough. Okay. Um, so yeah, he really does his dad well. I think he's kind of surpassing his dad in terms of writing this fiction. Okay. The next book is very different. It's funny. 
I, I can't wait to read this one, actually. I'm excited for you to talk about it. Good. I think I've mentioned Christopher Moore once before on yeah. this podcast to date. Um, I'm a, an abashed Christopher Moore fan. The publisher knows that. This book is Secondhand Souls. It's a follow-up to his novel, A Dirty Job, but it can be read as a standalone. Okay. Uh, you know, I just think Christopher Moore is one of the most amusing writers out there, at least for those of us who like dad jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Which we both do. We both We're do. Both fans. He's, he's really witty. Um, there's a lot of good witty banter and really creative characters. His books are quick and easy. And this one, you know, the otherworldly characters are fun twists on the usual tropes of demons and ghosts and goblins. It's set in San Francisco, like a lot of his books are, are right. contemporary San Francisco. The main character here is a guy named Charlie Asher. He's kind of a mild-mannered fellow. I was kind of thinking of him as like a young Bob Newhart who finds himself, through no fault of his own, um, becoming a death merchant, which means he is charged with gathering and storing the souls of recently deceased people. Um, I can't remember why, for whatever reason, until they're needed again. So... He's kind of this hapless, nerdy guy who's also a struggling single father of a very precocious seven-year-old called Sophie, who also happens to be uh, the Luminatus or quote-unquote big death, the only one powerful enough to control humanity's future or lack thereof. Sophie's an adorable character. She's wont to say things like, I am death destroyer of worlds at inopportune moments. Oh my goodness. And um, Sophie's two pet dogs have gone. She calls them the Goggies, um, but they've gone missing. And that her pet dogs happen to be hellhounds sent from the underworld to protect her when she was born are clue enough to the hijinks that ensue. Okay. Um, like all Christopher Moore novels, this one amuses from beginning to end and wraps up on a sweet note. Well, I'm so, I am so excited. I'm, I, you have a copy with you, mm-hmm. and I'm going to take it Good. before you leave today. And I can't wait to read it. And one of the reasons why is when I was looking it up and mm-hmm. looking at it myself before we our conversation today, I noted that one of the reviewers called this the perfect palate cleanser. And for <laughs> our listeners who listened to our last episode, we discussed palate cleansing books. Right. And so I'm really I thought I had coined that term and <laughs> somebody else has used it. And I'm so I'm excited to see what somebody else's version of, of a, palate a palate cleanser is. is. But this just looks so funny. And the fact that it has a couple of dogs in it as mm. main characters makes me think no wonder you liked it so well because <laughs> you are partial to books that have animals in them. This is very true. I do not so. deny that. <laughs> I love that someone else, you know, it just means we were on track thinking yes. about breeding in books, the need yep. for palate cleansing. It's so true. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to check this one out. You'll finish it very quickly. Good. So the third one I'm going to recommend is again, very different. This one's a children's book. It's a picture book. And it's by Joy Keller. It's called Monster Trucks. It's illustrated by Misa Saburi. So again, we were talking about like the length of Halloween these days being months long rather than a single day. Um, Well, in this book, (laughs) it's still just a single day. And it asks through really great illustrations and great setups, um, what do the monsters do when it's not Halloween? Awesome. And so what they do is they get in their monster trucks and they pave oh roads, they plow snow, they help 
construct of course buildings. they do. It's really an adorable, I love it. adorable book. The illustrations are really, um, they're not spooky illustrations. Right. They're humorous and fun illustrations of monsters and all the usual witches and, you know, a vampire and all that kind of stuff. Very cool. Very um, cute. Kids will like this. It's written by an elementary school teacher, actually. Aww. So um, we know that Love kids that. will like it. Yes. Well, those are great recommendations. Like I said, I can't wait to read Christopher Moore's book. Readers, we hope, or listeners, we hope you will check them out and let us know what your favorite Halloween-esque books are. So Totally. And you can do that on our website. Our website our, right there. and our Instagram page. Yeah. You can comment on that. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Have a great Halloween. And we'll be back with our conversation. For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the match He did the monster match The monster match Welcome back, listeners. We're at the conversation part of our Oxygen Starred podcast And we're really pleased today We are uh, doing a remote recording We are at the grounds of the Wild Care Eastern Sierra um, wildlife rescue uh, organization uh, down in the Owens Valley. And we are sitting here with Cindy Kamler, the person who created it and runs it. Um, and we're really excited to have you join us, Cindy. So welcome. Welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me. So, Cindy, we like to often ask our guests what brought them to the Eastern Sierra. Mm. And you and I have chatted a little bit. You have an amazing backstory. So, can you? I'm not re- sure which backstory <laughs> I gave you. Um, but uh, my memory is that I uh, was going through a transformational period in my life, which included finding a book which was written by a man named Richard Ross, mm-hmm. who was at that time in. Lone Pine in the uh, Hidden Valley Ranch, where he had uh, transformational conferences that you could attend. And I, um, after I read his book, I called and found out that I could come here. And I had no concept of this side of the Sierras at all. Really? Um, I'd never, I'd been in Yosemite, I think, a couple of times, but I'd never been on the east side. And I really really didn't know anything about it at all. And Were you uh, in California? I was time? in the Bay Area, okay. yeah. I think I was living in El Cerrito at the time. Okay. And uh, and I was, uh, yeah, I hadn't started rehabbing yet, I don't think. So anyway, um, so I wound up, I think the first time I came, I actually flew into uh, Ridgecrest. They used to have a, uh, you could fly into Ridgecrest mm-hmm. and then drove up in a rented wow. car or something. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what is this place? And it was June and everything was kind of looked brown and dry. And, right. Oh, and I'm from the East Coast originally. And <laughs> right. So I got used to the Bay Area. That's mm-hmm. pretty, still pretty green around there, but I didn't know. Anyway, I was like, what is this place? <laughs> but um, anyway, I did the conference with Richard and... Um, we were right in the Alabama hills, wow. and uh, I just very fell in love with the area, and especially um, we did a three-day fasting and silence period, and uh, 
and I spent most of my time up in the, uh, the Alabamas and the yeah. rocks climbing. <laughs> but I had fallen in love with the Alabamas in particular, yeah. and you had a straight view of Mount Whitney and uh, yeah. and the snow blowing up on the top and it's all beautiful. kinds of things. Beautiful. And I just fell in love with it. Uh, and, and my contacts with the natural world just, just opened up deeper and deeper than they had before ever in my life. Really? So, so that was really what brought me here. And then through Richard, I met, I was here. I met people who were here mm-hmm. in the place mm-hmm. that I'm living in. The woman that lived there then um, was involved with Richard. And so mm-hmm. I decided I wanted to get out of the madness of the Bay Area. Right. And... She said, oh, well, we're going to build a house so, you know, you can move in where I am here at Kios. Awesome. And so she said, oh, we should be gone in six months. And it took two years. So for two years (laughs) in the Bay Area, I was like, well, I'm going to move. (laughs) I'm going to move sometime. But in the meantime, um, I came over and did a bunch of conferences with Richard and volunteered for him. And so I spent quite a bit of time. And. And I have no desire to live anywhere else. Yeah, right? Why would you after being here? When you were in the Bay Area, were you really connected to animals and working with animals as well? Well, I'm trying to remember the timing exactly. I, I've i always liked animals. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a kid, we had dog, we had a cat. Um, <clears throat> at one point, my father, who was a medical doctor, was doing some kind of research project, and we had some white rats, which... I loved them, too. And, uh, <laughs> and I always, you know, I spent a fair amount of time outdoors as a kid. Not that we, I lived in sort of suburbia, but, but uh, I spent some summers mm-hmm. up in Maine in the woods and at the ocean and mm-hmm. different things. So I was, mm-hmm. you know, kids in those days were outside all the yes. time. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, and uh, we didn't have television yeah. way back then. Right. I didn't anyway. And um, so... Uh, I always liked animals. Animals always liked me, but I really my experience was primarily with pets. Okay. Yeah, but uh, <clears throat> it was before I moved here. Um, my mom uh, had a stroke, and uh, I was living in the Bay Area. But I went down to take care of her after the stroke, and uh, when I would get a break and somebody would you know be with her instead of me. Um, she was at Pacific Palisades, which, mm-hmm. you know, so I would drive down to the ocean. Right. And um, throw bread for the gulls and just <laughs> be there. And during that time period, wherever I was, it seemed like the animals were talking to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after she died uh, and I came back up uh, to the Bay Area, uh, a friend just happened to say, and she was actually a spiritual advisor, counselor, helpful person, whatever. And she said, I just heard on the radio that they there's this place in San Rafael and they take care of wild animals and they're looking for volunteers. So I called that up. That was it. <laughs> they said, well, we don't have a volunteer orientation for a couple months or whatever it was. And I said, well, could I, any reason I couldn't start now anyway? <laughs> <laughs> so they said, okay. So I've been doing it ever since. So what brought you over to start Wild Care on this side of the mountains? Was there already an organization doing this here, or did you start it? No, no. I, I, so after my mom died, I went to Wild Care in Marin, mm-hmm. and so then I was there for almost nine years. Yeah. And uh, so it, when I moved here, 
<laughs> um, despite the fact that I'd been doing a lot, I got very involved there, and I was worked, uh, did orientations, I did uh, volunteer coordination, I did a bunch of different things. That mm-hmm. um, I became the operations director. Mm-hmm. At that point, they were evolving from a from a natural history museum to mm-hmm. a rehab facility. Wow! And um, so I just got involved. I just again, you know. Right. Well, you know, you don't have anybody who's ordering food. Somebody needs to get <laughs> you know, uh, whatever it was. So Step that's how I it. got there. So, so I mean, my move was still, you know, kind of always in my background, but mm-hmm. in the back of my mind. But, um, you know, when I moved here, I didn't really plan to start anything. Um, I guess I knew that there wasn't any regular organization mm-hmm. here um <clears throat> so i brought a couple cages and a few little things so in case something came my way right <laughs> you know i could do something and so the first couple years that was kind of what it was like mm-hmm. i mean there were a couple yeah. things came my way you know my cat brought in a bird my neighbor's <laughs> cat brought in a bird uh, right uh after a year or so people at the bishop vet knew i w- mm-hmm. had some background and so suddenly one of the people started calling me occasionally mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. though I didn't have a permit or anything, mm-hmm. and I wasn't set up to do that. And um, so I just sort of, you know, it kind of came to me. And uh, um, before I know it, I mean, it just kept growing. <laughs> and uh, uh, so for the first couple, two, let's see, I would say first couple years, I was totally on, did whatever I did. Right. And most of the animals, I drove them up to uh, to the Lake Tahoe mm-hmm. Center up there um, mm-hmm. you know, or got a, tr- a ride or something for them. I didn't have any long-term. Mm-hmm. I right. had my trailer I live in, and next to it, there's a little tiny trailer about as mm-hmm. big as this table, mm-hmm. and that was all I had. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? And then eventually I built a couple cages. But... but um, I could see, you know, that the, the, the need was here, and people kept calling me even when I wasn't legal, <laughs> <laughs> to including the vets and, and yeah. even fish and game, um, yeah. wow. <clears throat> to take animals. So um, at some point, I got the names from uh, the Tahoe people of some local people in the area that mm-hmm. uh, had taken their training, even though they didn't use it because they right. didn't live up there. Right. And... Uh, so I called a group, five or six people, mm-hmm. and uh, we um, met and, and sort of started an organization. And then, then it was all the horror, horror <laughs> of, <laughs> you know, bylaws and incorporation and tax right. exemptions right. and money, all my old age money right, got right, spent, right. you know, <laughs> on the animals and uh, all these things, you know. So it just kept being, well, if it's going to keep going, then I need... Sure. Somebody right. to do this or somebody to do that, and so it, it gradually evolved. And, and uh, what is amazing cool. to me, so we're sitting in kind of uh, the Wild Care Center near Keo's Hot Springs, and you've got cages with animals and birds in them, as well as um, a, a building with some of the smaller animals. I know your hospital mm-hmm. unit is in there as well, but you cover from like this Owen, the in southern part of Inyo County, all the way up to the top of Mono County, right? Yes, we have a huge territory. I think yeah. we're certainly the uh, rehab center and, and uh, rehab place in California that has probably the largest uh, territory that we cover. Yeah, yeah, we go 
really to Ridgecrest, even, and, right. uh, and then over to Fish Lake Valley, Tonopah, Nevada, um, yeah. up into, we just got a, a couple guys down from uh, Yosemite, mm -hmm. um, and then all the way up, just almost to Topaz, really. Yeah, I first found out about you visiting the Bridgeport Library and mm -hmm. our librarian there, Abby mm -hmm. Bridges, who you know has a small dog. She goes mm -hmm. out to walk in the fields all the time. She had mm -hmm. found an injured hawk. And mm -hmm. I said, what'd you do with it? And she said, well, I called Wild Care and they arranged for someone to pick it up and drive it down. And, and she's done that twice since I've been here. Mm -hmm. And then, so that just amazes me that you cover such a long and you have a well, network of people who will drive well that is one of the big challenges and mm -hmm. again it's one of those things that more than any other rehab groups I think we have to deal with that there are a few people that are uh, you know have small facilities that um, or they specialize in something mm -hmm. so there's a woman over and I forget now where she is um, like somewhere north of Sacramento somewhere and she does fawns Oh, wow. And fawns, you have to have a special permit to do, mm -hmm. just like bear. Sure. And, uh, um, and um, so uh, if we had a fawn here that we wanted to transfer there, we'd have to get a special permission from the state uh, rehab coordinator, wildlife rehab coordinator, to send them there. <clears throat> but mm -hmm. um, so she'll get animals yeah. from different places. but. Yeah. Um, or occasionally we'll, we send something down to, uh, we send a lot of things to Ojai Raptor Center. Okay. Oh. They're a great facility. The, the woman that runs it is great. And they do have some access to really skilled veterinarians, yeah. which we don't have here. Right. So, so, uh, so part of the, the, the distance is reaching out for networking in terms sure. of care, but it's also... Uh, what I like to call our Pony Express. <laughs> yeah. Maybe quite literally. Well, quite literally. not too different. <laughs> and so in addition to all your Pony Express drivers, this is quite a large facility. I mean, I can right. see cages going mm -hmm. back a, a long ways here. How many people do you have working with you here? Well, uh, it varies. And so um, this is another thing that makes, as a, as a nonprofit, Organization, it makes things really unusual because um, in in rehab you have busy season or baby oh, season. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> baby season. So yeah. So the most of our animals come in between April and September or mm -hmm. October maybe, okay. um, and centrally, um, you know, and they're babies, mm -hmm. baby birds, baby mammals that uh, need our help whether mm -hmm. they fall out of the nest or the parents are killed or, or there's many, many different reasons why they show up here. Um, and uh, a baby hummingbird, when, if he needs to be fed, it's every 15 to 20 minutes. Wow. And that's from dawn till dark. That's labor intensive. <laughs> so in the summer, that's from, you know, 6 in the morning till 8 o'clock right. at night or something. Right. Yeah. So, yes, it's very labor intensive. But all the baby birds, until they get to to learn to feed themselves, mm -hmm. um, have to be fed. Right. Yeah. So uh, the time that goes into it is is huge. So um, our our uh, staff and volunteers, you know, you you rarely ever have a problem that you have too many. Sure. Yeah. The only sure. time right. now it's slowing down. We have several animals here right now that are going to be released within the next day or two, 
um, that's going to cut our population in about half. <laughs> that's great. That's <laughs> yeah. a good thing, right? Yeah. That's a good thing. But, uh, but then, you know, for volunteers, there's less to do. And uh, so that's a challenge sometimes right. uh, for the volunteers to uh, stay connected when sure. uh, there's not much to do. Mm-hmm. But we're going to work on it. Well, Wills, we've already got hooked into uh, <laughs> other things besides just feeding baby birds. So, uh, yeah, I should point I, out my partner Wills is here and he, he volunteers with Wild Care yes, as well and loves it. he's a great volunteer and doing many, many good things. Uh, this year it's going to be, I think, a little on the high side. It was such a strange spring and summer. Yes. Um, and uh, also, at one point it really, you know, escalated quickly and that's when people started learning that we were here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> It took me several very miserable years to get the Fish and Wildlife to give me a permit. Mm. At that time, well, actually, what finally happened was that the department finally decided to recognize wildlife rehabbers and set up a program of permitting for them instead of just having to deal with some random right. guy in the, on the law side right. to uh, say, yeah, you could rehab, you know. Yeah. So, uh, so thank God that saved me because I would have <coughs> wardens coming around looking. Right. <laughs> you don't have a permit. You've got a starling. Oh, my God. You know? So it was pretty bad. And... Um, yeah, so that, that made a big difference um, in the whole thing, too. And you do educational <laughs> programs. So we you, do. It's yeah. always been my interest um, to educate. Yeah. And uh, so I even, I, well, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't say this. But anyway, even early on, I mean, I remember a few times going to the schools with baby birds that mm-hmm. we, I was rehabbing, mm-hmm. and which is not I'm not supposed to do that, but I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do it right. and take them into a classroom mm-hmm. and show them when right. I fed them yeah. or something like right. that. Um, now we have more of an education program with, we have some education animals and that just are here for, with special permits. Right. And, uh, and, and one of them is uh, right behind us. We can hear yes. him in the background. Yeah. She's, she, she's, she's she, a girl. She, she, she wants to be on the podcast. <laughs> tell, can you tell, tell our listeners a little bit hey, about Razzie. Razzle? Oh, Razzle's my pal. She's a, a raven, a common raven, uh, is the title, uh, official name mm-hmm. of her species. And she is, uh, she's over 10 now. Wow. And uh, she was a call that I got from somebody that there was a bird that had fallen out of a nest in, in, right in Bishop somewhere on 3rd Street or something. Mm-hmm. And I went out uh, there and... Um, I found her on the sidewalk next to into some bush or something, mm-hmm. and um, so she had fallen out of a nest up mm-hmm. in the tree. Um, my guess is probably the parents who have were new parents, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of times the nests aren't built very well, and mm-hmm. things happen because she was only two weeks old. Oh my goodness! So her eyes were open, but the only feathers she had were just poking through the skin. They were about Aww. you know maybe half an inch long, oh maybe not even that. Oh. So she was very young, and, uh, and she had broken her uh, left wing mm-hmm. near oh. the wrist. And uh, so obviously she couldn't go back to the nest. And uh, so we raised her, and the, the wing healed, but not well enough for her to be released. released. And, of okay. course, being raised by people that long, she was pretty tame anyway, and... Uh, so at that point, we had had a, a couple previous um, education birds. We had a 
Prairie Falcon for a while. Wow. And uh, who was great. And um, uh, and then uh, we had a red-tailed hawk um, that was our education bird for quite a few years. And Karma, uh, we had trained Karma um, by a falconer. So we used to get to go out and fly Karma oh, every day wow. Oh, wow. up here behind the center. Oh, and fun. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> that was so much fun. And uh, then Karma decided to take off eventually with a, a, red, a wild red-tailed hawk. And, oh, uh, flew the coop. Flew the coop. <laughs> and he survived. And Great. Whatever. So, uh, so then we didn't have anybody. And uh, people, there's always people always saying, what's the difference between a raven and a crow? You know? yeah. And ravens and crows are both pretty uh, dominant here, but especially the ravens more so than the crows. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she seemed like a good candidate to make an education bird. And, of course, she's, she's a character. And she loves going to classrooms. Yeah. And she just is a... Show off. She was just at the library, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yes. she yeah. was. And, and uh, she's gone through different you know, phases. Uh, but recently, in her last outings, she's just been a total ham. <laughs> uh, just totally. <laughs> she constantly, she tends to think that because I'm talking, that she should talk. Yeah, I, I, think, I think she knows we're talking about her right so, now. I'm trying to tell people about her, and she's going. Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> anyway, she's great. Her caging here is on the maximum traffic pattern. So yeah. everybody that comes in the front door, everybody goes back to the other animals, mm-hmm. pass her by, and Say so she right. gets lots of attention, and That's she's awesome. very involved with the whole deal. Yeah. No, she was super popular at the library. Yeah, I'll bet. So that was where we had some young families who were really excited. They saw Razzle and they saw um, Spirit. Spirit, the red-tailed hawk, uh-huh. and as well um, the golden-mantled ground squirrel, whose name escapes me. Bumpy. 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 He was doing backflips in the cage. Yes, he, he's t- uh, turned out to be quite a, a show-off, too. <laughs> I, think I think they all know they work for a theater person. Um, where can people find out more about Wild Care Eastern Sierra? Well, um, we, we do have a Facebook. Facebook page, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a great person putting all kinds of interesting stuff on there every few days. So definitely check our Facebook out. But mm-hmm. that's sort of more the day-to-day little exciting things or mm-hmm. little quirky things or great photos or yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. But we have a website and uh, in which we have all kinds of information from uh, um, advice to mm-hmm. a person who finds an animal that needs help. Um, wow. Uh, we have articles that have been written about wildlife. Uh, uh, I have right now. We have a monthly column that's in the register uh, called "Living with Wildlife," and uh, and it's uh, the name of it is ES or the whatever mm-hmm. you call it website website <laughs> thing. I'm I'm very technologically oriented. <laughs> <laughs> it is just ES Wild Care. We'll, yes. put the, we'll put the link we'll put on our link. website yeah. as well. Sure. So, so that's it. And, and uh, we understand you've got a big fundraiser coming up. So we tell do our have listeners. a big fundraiser. I'm going to back up. Hang on to that okay. one minute. Okay. All right. Because also uh, on the website, um, well, not on the website, but we are also evolving and working on a um, electronic email or newsletter. email newsletter blast right. email blast whatever they they're called and. Uh, and we've we've been doing that now for several months, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll continue to do it. And if people 
can go to the website, and then, then they mm -hmm. can also find out how to get onto that if they prefer Great. an electronic uh, right. something Newsletter. coming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that would keep them up to date both similarly in some ways to the Facebook page, but also to um, other things that yeah. wouldn't be on the Facebook page maybe, right. or whatever. Or Anyway, uh, so yeah, so they can do that. So yes, we have an event, Wild Spirits is our only really major, well, it's only fundraiser. We have fundraising uh, other methods, but the actual physical activity uh, is Wild Spirits, and uh, we've always held it in the, in the fall, and uh, because things finally get quiet. Sure. Um, uh, for many years, it was a mountain lake gallery, and uh, no longer available. And so, uh, last year and now this year, it will be uh, at the Heritage Arts Building at the fairgrounds oh, wow. here Great. in Bishop. And uh, a couple of changes this year. Uh, it's a new location. We were mm -hmm. there last mm -hmm. year, um, but a new location for most people. And. Uh, also, but same time from 6 to 8 p.m., but it's going to be on a Saturday night okay. instead of a Sunday night. And the date uh, is? And the date is November 2nd. First awesome. Saturday in November. Yeah, so it used to be at the end of October. So <laughs> so there's some changes going on. But will, uh, will people be able to see some of the animals at the front? Yes, or? yes, we, we do bring our education birds. So Razzle will be there, Yay. Spirit will be there. Uh, probably Bumpy will be there. <laughs> uh, I'm sure Bumpy ties? will be there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. think so. No, that's actually that's <laughs> no. a no-no. That's a no-no, right. <laughs> no, you don't dress up wild animals yeah. and make them look like cute little toys. Right. Yeah, right. No, don't do that. <laughs> anyway, um, we have uh, volunteers that are um, reptile experts, and mm -hmm. so we'll have some live Reptiles, wow. mostly cool. snakes, and uh, sometimes they'll bring some interesting um, skulls, or not skulls, but um, shells mm -hmm. and other things. So we have a reptile section, and cool. we also have going on uh, in a corner is a slideshow mm -hmm. that goes on throughout the evening with um, just all, all the kind of history of all the different animals we do sure. and what mm -hmm. we do and why we do it and so on for people. There's always somebody that some people want to just sit there and, and look at it and yeah. look at the slideshow. And, uh, That's great. It's a great event. I mean, I have to say so myself, <laughs> yeah. having invented it. But, um, surprisingly, it's just been very successful. Yeah. And it's really fun. It's two hours. And you'd make a donation at the door. Yeah. I think it's 15 nice. bucks for, for adults. Um, and... Um, so you get wonderful free food. Mm -hmm. okay. You have we have a bar with beer, wine, and, mm -hmm. and not soft drink, mm -hmm. free. Wow. Nice. We uh, have door prizes, multiple door prizes. So Great. we often have, uh, I don't know, like fifty door prizes or something. Holy And cow. people Good. draw right away and they get their door prize when they walk in the door and, oh, that's and stuff, that's which is kind of fun. Yeah. And uh, and then we have silent auction items. Mm -hmm. um, we also sell T-shirts and toads. Um, but we have auction items that range from, you know, small things for that are cost like 20 bucks worth mm -hmm. to, to sometimes, a, say, a Galen Rowell um, wow. painting that, or a photograph, photograph that might be a $500 wow. thing or anything in between and any kind of thing. So we have usually... Over a hundred auction items. Oh wow! wow. So you're well supported. Yeah. Or yes. Well, recognized well it's by become a thing. Community. A lot of people like 
giving something. Sure. And mm-hmm. uh, so unlike a lot of uh, organizations where they'll have four or five mm-hmm. high-end prizes, mm-hmm. you know, trip to somewhere or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, we have a <laughs> And I have a lot of people who come and they do their Christmas shopping. That's oh. great. So I had last year, this one woman must have picked up uh, like 20 different items, you know, and they were all for, this is for this is my Christmas, Christmas. Oh, that's so, so it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And the food is great. Uh, Looking forward to it. And, yeah. And um, yeah, it's just it's on a our lot calendar. of fun. So Cindy, we like to ask all of the people that we have this conversation with what they're reading or what they would recommend to people to read. So do you have a book you'd like to share with us? Well, if, um, of course, I've over the years I've read so many um, things relating to my interests, um, mm-hmm. nonfiction kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go on and on forever about all the books that you know <laughs> have been important to me, or the writers, or the you mm-hmm. know, Chief Seattle. Mm-hmm. Tom Brown Jr. and uh, in fact, I've been rereading uh, one of Tom Brown's uh, books, Grandfather. Okay. Um, I was been fortunate enough to take about six or seven workshops from Tom. Yeah. And I've been life changing, and uh, and I'm also been nibbling away at the uh, oh gosh. The Hidden Life of Trees? Is that it? Do I have that right? Oh, I love or is that it the book. Sec- yes. Is it the Secret, secret, life, secret life of Trees? Secret Life of Trees? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's so full of information that right. I, I can't read too much at one time because I just, I, then I can't, re- I, you know, <laughs> yeah. can't I can't absorb it. So I pick it up and put it down and come back to it and read a nice. chapter or whatever. But it's a great book for, again, for other people who might be interested in reading about nature and learning mm-hmm. things that are completely unexpected. That's a great book. Oh, well, yeah, it is definitely for me. Foliage, yeah. 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 And knowing that you can pick it up and put it down and pick right. it yeah. up. And, yeah. And, you know, yeah. That's I, actually, I have to confess that I keep going back because I can't remember so I, I, I keep going back to starting from the beginning. Well, half we the all time, do that but sometimes. Anyway, but anyway, and I do hope to have out uh, not too long from now uh, a book that I've written. Um, been working on. Uh, it's evolved uh, mm-hmm. over time, uh, the course of my life. Um, but it's mostly it's called Connections, uh, and then the subtitle is. Uh, experiences with wildlife and nature and uh great i think what spawn what really got the book i i've done a lot of writing and journalism and stuff Mm -hmm. in my career over the years but um um i uh i had a uh a friend, really, at, when I was at Wild Care, who was a Golden Eagle, mm-hmm. Goldie, and she had <laughs> been there since she was a young bird. Mm-hmm. She was rescued, and she they thought she was a bald eagle. They fed her the wrong diet. She never could fly well enough to oh. be an eagle, so she spent her whole life in a cage. And um, when I met her, she was, uh, let's see, I knew her for five years or so, so she was about 30, mm-hmm. and she wow. died at 36 and uh, in my arms. Aww. And, um, yeah, so I, I got to really get to know her, and, and uh, she'd, as soon as I came in to open the door at the center, she'd start calling, Aww. and I'd call back. <laughs> she'd let me scratch her head at her Aww, neck. And, and anyway, great. we were really good friends. And, uh, and so after she died, I... 
I had to say something. Yeah. So, so I wrote something, and so that was kind of, I started really writing about my experiences, mm -hmm. you know, with the wildlife and... Uh, That's amazing. ...and nature, and then, uh, yeah, right around the time I started rehabbing, too, I went around the world for seven months with mm -hmm. a backpack and a sleeping bag. Right. And wow. um, primarily interested in wildlife, so I spent seven months... Um, three months in East Africa, and so mm -hmm. uh, part one section of the book is excerpts from my diary, so wow. counters with whatever it might be, <laughs> whether it's a kangaroo or a, or a elephant in my tent or whatever. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, Cindy, when after you get your book published, will you come back and talk with us about that? Oh, I'd be happy to. We can hear more about your adventures. Sure, sure, and sure. Absolutely. Library, I think. Yes, we'd love that. I look forward it's to that. It's been a delight talking to you. Well, today. thank you so much. Thank I hope I didn't talk so too much. much. No, no, you, you were did fabulous. not. So thank you listeners for joining us for another episode of the Oxygen Star podcast. Please, if you haven't done so already, take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review to help other people find us. Really appreciate a few minutes of your time to do that. You can also find us at our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com, and on our Instagram page, o2starved. Thanks very much. Thank you, guys. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.